Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tent Talks. This is Stacy, and we also have Liz. Hi, everyone. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back, Liz. We've missed you. Today's topic is kind of piggybacking off of our previous episode with the midwives, and they were talking about informed consent. And we wanted to talk about consent because that comes up so much in healing work and it comes up in empowerment, helping people find their own like inner power and that that stems from within and not without. And so we really just wanted to dive deeper from our perspectives of what consent looks like and how to foster and nurture consent and consensual relationships. I think if we knew how pervasive and broad this spans every aspect of our life, I think it would be a little shocking to see how much either we're lacking that or perhaps we are not honoring another's empowered consent. I just came up with that term, but we talk about informed consent, but what does it mean to be informed and what does it mean to have the right education or to have the right amount of experience or non-bias? And that's, those are big questions. Yeah. Well, I think in my experience, I want people to feel in charge of their bodies when I'm working on them. Of course, when I'm in the office, I'll be the one, you know, doing the massage and putting products on and using tools. I use cups, I use scraping tools, I use a lot of things in the massage. But there's so many layers of consent that goes and power differentials. So like the very fact that I'm clothed and the client is not, I'm standing and they're laying. I have to really have conversation with people before they get on the massage table. I need to know a lot of things and how they communicate and we need to connect somehow so that there was ever anything that I could help them. Yeah. I mean, I've had people have panic attacks, have diabetic attacks on the table. I've had people have like nervous breakdowns and cry and allergic reaction. I mean, you have people that have responses and and you need to know how to manage and handle those things. But I think it all comes down to this thing of consent. Like they need to know that they're in charge of their body and they need to know how to dictate control and create a safe boundary so that if there ever is anything that happens while on a massage table, that we can manage that and they can feel safe and cared for with integrity. Wow. I know I've mentioned in one of our first episodes that I have had massages where I didn't feel like I could say anything. I don't, I didn't feel like I could say, ow, that hurts, stop, or, you know, go lighter. And you're just, I, I, I felt myself go into kind of that freeze mode, which is sometimes my default. And I don't know how to speak in those moments. Yes. And can you imagine like going into a freeze mode and like having a medical emergency? Right. Like it's so important that we find our voice and that we know that it's safe to have these consent conversations because at all times we need to be able to navigate our own safety and our own our own experience with life. I mean, you know, if if it's not a safety issue, it's like, how do you want to experience this life? Yeah. What do you want to bring in? Yeah. But I think what we're dealing with is so multifaceted from a person's 
childhood, right? That, you know, there's no way that even in sessions, you or I or anybody has, I think, the ability to like make sure that person feels completely empowered or feels like they know what to say. And that's tricky, right? Because we're in professions where we really want clients to feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes a client will just kind of like, what, what do I do here? And, you know, to give them what I think they should do, I think is to kind of abuse that power dynamic or, you know, especially not knowing the complexities of their experience and their life and their situation. Like I can only hear an hour's worth and then I can't make that decision. I'm not the expert, but we have grown up in a society that is very authoritarian that says, trust the expert, right? And so is that me giving full consent when I don't know any better? I'm looking for help and guidance, but they're kind of asserting this expertise saying, oh yeah, you you want to do this. And this this sounds like this would be the best fit for you. And you know, you've been talking to this person for all of 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, we have to model in our languaging, in our interactions with people that number one, that they're the expert of their lives, that they have full consent over the session, that they can use the time how they want to use it, and that we're simply guides along their journey, along their path. Because people all too easily, without even knowing that they do it, they just give away everything and say, well, you're the expert here, not me. And and that feels nice to hear in the moment that somebody's trusting you, but ultimately we just reflect it right back. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to do because we can see patterns and we have learned about certain things that maybe the average person hasn't spent time educating themselves on, but that doesn't make us have power or control over another. We just get to reflect and educate so that people can make informed choices about, you know, what would be best for them. That reminds me of this concept of active learning. I remember taking this childcare class and our teacher was talking about how Jean Piaget, I believe 100 years ago, said that children learn through active learning, which basically means humans learn through active learning. And she had us reflect and think about something that we were good at or we felt we could do well and how we learned how to do that thing. And it was ubiquitously something that we hands-on taught ourselves to do. Like, Mm. I'm good at baking because I do it. I I make mistakes. I can go through this trial and error process. I I do it a lot. I, you know, I'm, I'm physically actively teaching myself. But then, you know, if we have someone coming to us where we've done that process and we want to share the answer with somebody, we're denying them that active process. We're teaching them through passive learning and they won't learn it anyway, right? They won't learn that way. What it really ultimately does is kind of create that power dynamic, right? And it probably makes them feel at a one down, if anything, then empowered instead of like, what do you think Mm -hmm. you want to do, right? Or, hey, you know, maybe we could both jump in and do this thing together and figure it out, you know, in this active process. 
Yeah, there's something really beautiful that happens when we get into like curiosity and learning mode. Because everybody does have a unique flow and rhythm and talents and like the things that you love, you're drawn to for some inherent reason inside of you that I know nothing about and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so we have all of these talents and skills and information that we bring to the table. And if we're so regimented on like checking off boxes or a template that somebody else gave us, we miss our own flow. And that's where we really glean the results of our talents. And like that reciprocity with life comes back to meet us because we find our own rhythm and flow. And really that comes down to just consent, just being your own authority and saying like, this is my experience. I'm bringing to the table what I have. And then I'll do this like dance with life. And then I'll see what feels good to me. And then, you know, based on that, I'll move forward. But if we're just given a template, do it like this, show up like this, then we miss that part of us that's consenting and bringing forth our own experience and talents. Yeah, back to that, you're the architect of your own life. And Mm -hmm. you're card reading earlier, the blueprint is within all of us. You know, it's yeah, yeah, I can't write the blueprint for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And nobody should assume to do that for us. Yeah. So now that we've established that that we are the creators of our own life, and we need to give consent. What does that look like in everyday situations? How do we foster that with our kids within ourselves? Like, Mm -hmm. can you give some concrete examples for our listeners. Yeah, so I'm going to pull from Dr. Shafali. She's a psychologist, and I think I've read some things from her before, her book, A Radical Awakening. I think we really have to come back to how we know and how we educate one another. And she's talking about traditions, and I think this is an important part to maybe just think about and deconstruct. She said, when we grow up, In an environment heavy with tradition, be it in the form of educational legacies or religious roots or cultural practices, our psyche identifies with these traditions. The more heavily traditions are placed on our young shoulders, the more we fuse our identity with them, so much so that we are soon incapable of knowing who we are outside of these traditions. So even when we think we choose something, when we think we choose marriage, our careers, our religion, she says we don't. You know, none of these choices is purely ours. Only when we understand how our lives are fueled by tradition from the past can we hope to free ourselves from the moorings of robotic conformity. So how is all of this history, culture, which are obviously great things, but are they kind of defining our blueprint, right? Like, did our blueprint get written for us? And from where is that coming from? Well, yeah, when we talk about genetic inheritance, and having predisposition for things, or having even ancestral gifts or curses, you know, people have all kinds of languaging, but there are things that are so deeply embedded in our bones that it's like, we do not know. We do not know what life would be like without those yearnings. And that's why I always come back to the body Mm -hmm. as the example, because 
your body will tell you what to do. And sometimes bodies change. Well, bodies change all the time, but bodies change as we change. Yeah. And so when we get healthier in the mind, we get healthier in the body. When we get healthier with our emotions, our body gets healthier. And it's not always like a direct reflection of what we think health looks like, because again, it's our own natural flow and health looks like a lot of different things. There is not a template for what perfect health looks like. It's just when we become more in alignment with our true north, our true self. Mm -hmm. So with young kids, I always think about like letting them choose what they want to eat and like all these things that we hyper control, yeah. like letting them choose what they want to wear yeah, and who they want to like hug or high five or like giving kids as much bodily consent as possible. Because even though they may be born into tradition and heritage and all those things, it's really important for them to establish what they like mm -hmm. and what they're drawn to and to begin to trust that because Kids know if something will make them sick or if they do something and there's a negative reaction, but they can't know that if it's always being like overtaken by a protective parent. Oh no, don't do that because da, 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 da. like, let them try it. Yeah. You know, within reasonable, you know, obviously don't safety like, limits, yeah. <laughs> limits of safety. That's yeah. important. Safety first, safety <laughs> first. But I mean, honestly, I feel like we, we try so hard to control these young kids. Yes. And if we just allow them freedom, but it's really hard to break that cycle because we were probably really hyper controlled. And so we don't know. It feels really radical to let them have so much autonomy autonomy and yeah if you're teaching your child consent for the first time and you weren't modeled that or taught that it can feel really destabilizing like am i doing what's right am i really am i doing what's best yeah. for this new generation yeah but i i do think the answer is yes yeah, I think people are really having a hard time with this. And like you said, when we were controlled, I mean, control begets control. And so it's hard for us to differentiate. I remember definitely being a young mom and wanting my kids to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to behave a certain way, right? To reflect the what I wanted, something that would get a positive result for myself, yeah. Oh, you're such a good parent, Liz. Right. Your kids are so well behaved and they're so well dressed and they X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. I was conforming them and quote, grooming them without knowing it, right? To be a certain type of human being. And, you know, I've really tried to internalize the work I've done, you know, becoming a therapist, you know, in my work and really redefining those relationships with my kids so that I tell them, I trust you. You know, I trust you to know what you need. And yeah, approaching them differently, trying not to make it about me that maybe I just want to like, grab my little toddler and snuggle and kiss him all over. And if but if he pushes away, I let him right instead of I need. Yeah, <laughs> this is what I need from you. And really checking in with that. I think it's hard. I think a lot of our inability to really give adequate consent comes from this childhood disempowerment. You know, I was 
really taught to be the good girl, you know, a lot like what Dr. Shafali talks about in her experience and how when she described kind of the empath, this archetype she uses, the bleeding empath, and how the fallacies of that, it was very shocking. It was a very hard mirror sometimes to see. But she says, you know, for an empath to understand herself, she needs to undergo a systematic deconstruction of her patterns. This means turning the spotlight on her co-creation of reality. The first thing she needs to be aware of is how she has been giving of herself as a way of obtaining love and worth. So I don't want to say no, because then I'll feel like I'm not lovable, right? Yeah. And I want I will that reflect, approval. Yeah, I will reflect what the community deems as the best so that I can be in alignment with, you yeah. know, receiving and, and if I can make and- them happy with me. Mm-hmm. So where is that line of consent, right? How do I say no or form a boundary? Her inability to say no doesn't come from a lack of desire to say no necessarily, but from a fear of conflict and abandonment. Until she is able to get to the source of these core fears, the empath will not be able to construct the boundaries she needs to thrive. And that was kind of like a, oh, I, yeah, th- those are hard, right? For some of us, those boundaries, that ability to sit with the discomfort of, I made someone else uncomfortable. Yeah. Now I read Dr. I read this book, The Radical Awakening, and it really, it really deconstructs a lot of things. It's very intense. But I think what I learned most from this bleeding empath is I feel like I'm a person that really honors and values harmony and feeling like harmonious in an environment. And so for me, that looked like me constantly shifting to create the harmony and resonance within that environment, even at the detriment of myself, even at the violation of my own consent or my own personal value system and my boundaries. And, and what this book taught me was that I don't need to seek harmony from without, like outside of myself. I need harmony from within. So I just need to find an environment that is resonant with me. Yeah. I don't seek out environments that I can like, you know, just be that I can, you know, find any environment and and be in harmony. I used to just like yeah. love to wave that banner. Like I can I can be good anywhere. I can do any, you know, I can thrive yeah. anywhere. I'll adapt, I'll change whatever. It's kind of assuming a lot of power that we could manipulate yeah. other people's environments or internal spaces, yeah. right? And the exact opposite is true. I just go to places that already love me for who I am, that let me be me, that let me be free, that I don't have to change, that there's already harmony. Because, yeah, we shouldn't have to go through these deep manipulations to try to fit in or blend. The harmony comes from within. And then when we feel that harmony... If our environment doesn't love us and support that, then we get a new environment. We don't adjust to the environment. Yeah. And that's a really different approach because we're internally led and our internal environment is our authority. The reality is we don't need to trust anybody else around us. We need to trust ourselves 
because our self is the barometer for what is safe around us. Right. And I was taught to like put my trust outside of myself. Yeah. And that's exhausting because you can't stretch yourself that thin. Yeah. You really only have to develop that relationship with yourself, trust yourself, know what your yeses feel like, know what your noes feel like, mm-hmm. because then it doesn't matter who you come into contact with. Your body will tell you like, this yeah. is a yes or this is a no. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. The authority says you have to adapt to us. That's the authoritarian voice is saying, no, no, no. If you're having a hard time here, you need to change, right? Not, not us, not, a, not this environment. And that's kind of the, <laughs> the authoritarian narcissistic voice, right? That we kind of, I think all have experienced to some degree, whether it's a work environment, you know, parents, partnership, you know, like, yeah. is that you have the problem if you're not resonating here, right? And I love what you said, these words, I was in violation of my own consent. Yeah. I mean, I think that might hit a chord with a lot of people, right? Because we're violating our own consent, our own power. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, just even like a few weeks ago, I remember sitting and talking to my daughter and going, I think I finally figured out what my gut instinct feels like. <laughs> Yeah, After it takes, all this time. It takes so much time because we have to detox from, I think that was the verbiage she used, like detox syst- systemically or from the systems yeah. outside of us. Like, no, this is what this voice is teaching me. This is what this voice is teaching me. And I know those voices because I was born in them, but I need the relationship with myself. Yeah who is wise and who will eventually, let's face it, outgrow systems. Mm. Because at some point in time, we take, you know, on the evolutionary path, we take authority and we say, oh, that's not working for me. Yeah. But we have to know what the me is. Right. Well, we should understand that we're collectively the system. And so if a system you're in feels oppressive, like there's a power dynamic. It's not a genuine system, right? There's probably a better word to call it then. But I do want to give a concrete example. We do often think of consent in terms of like sexual relationships or sexual activity, you know, and so I think maybe we spend a few minutes on that. And I'm going to give an example that Dr. Shefali gives, which I can relate to. I think a lot of women can relate to this. I'm sure there's a lot of males who can relate to this as well. But, you know, we talk about this attitude of getting consent. What does that look like? How do we even educate our young people? But I'm just going to read. She says, talking about how, you know, men are kind of taught to be more aggressive and effectively kind of prey on women sometimes. She said, the tragedy isn't just that men did what they did to a defenseless young girl. The real tragedy is that our mothers, aunts, and female teachers don't teach us how to prepare for it. No one told me that I was prey, but this is what I wish someone had explained to me. I wish someone had held me by the shoulders, looked deep into my eyes, and said, you're a girl who will grow into a woman. From now on until old age, you will forever be preyed upon. Mm. This is not to say we're stuck as victims, right? This is just to give education, right? She says, not all men see women as prey, but many do. 
Your awareness of this fact will be to your advantage. It will empower you. There's nothing to feel bad about. It's just the way of nature. By being aware of this, you won't be caught off guard. You will be vigilant, ever present. You will protect yourself as wisely as you can, knowing that even when you do so, you will fall to unwanted advances. As soon as this happens, you are to call on your sisters or one of us. You are to reach out for help. You are to speak up and speak out against anything. She says any abuse, but some sometimes we don't know it's abuse, right? But we could teach our kids to speak out about anything that makes them feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. or that they don't understand or that they have recurring thoughts about. Those are signs, right, of, mm-hmm. of you're off from your inner compass. There is no shame in being victim of a predator. It is not your fault that this happens. It does not make you victimized for life. And, you know, she talks about how we don't educate people. We don't empower people how to say something, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they can't in the moment, we don't tell them after something happens how to speak out, how to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I want to give an example of a friend that I have who is a manager in a company and she has an assistant and her assistant is a young, maybe 19, 20 year old. And she's doing exactly what this book said. She's teaching this woman like, hey, all the promotions, all the internal hiring is going to go toward men because they know they were taught that you have to ask for it. And they're taught from like a young age how to work this system. So I'm going to teach you how to do it because we need more women in management positions. You just have to advocate for yourself. You have to say, I'm doing this amount of work and I would like a raise or I can handle this amount of workload and I would like more. And it's like, I didn't have anybody ever in the corporate world, take me under their wing and say, these jobs most likely will go to men because they're already educated on how to do this. Or we're used to seeing men in management positions. And so, and around here, especially there's this idea that men support families. And so they often give higher paying jobs to men. And this is a very systemic problem in Utah. We rank like number 48th or 50th or like something bizarre in the nation for wage gap disparity. But if I would have had a mentor, a woman manager that said, Hey, I got here because I asked, Mm -hmm. I got here because I advocated for myself because I knew the system wasn't created for me to thrive. Yeah. I had to learn how to do this, but a lot of these people around you already know how to do that. Yeah. This is like the secret. This is the, thing is that you advocate for yourself. Yeah. For some reason, as you're talking, it makes me think of, you know, Abby Wambach's book, The Wolf Pack. And, Mm. and, you know, she was, this was actually in a podcast, she was talking about how post her Olympic gold medal or whatever the soccer team, you know, her, her experience there, they were speaking. And basically, she had this realization that she's going home, not knowing how to pay her mortgage. And while these other oh, yeah. NBA stars are, you know, are, are set for life, they're, she, they're yeah, making millions of this, dollars. Yeah, she won this award. She's on she's sharing the stage with right these other men, these top athletes. athletes. And she's realizing just the very fact that they're a man, we've we've achieved the same level of award of what an athlete can obtain. 
And the very fact that they're men means that they'll be set up for life with their income. But because the soccer team is newly established and because women's sports don't have the same type of pay, these guys are going off and they're being retired. Meanwhile, I'm starting over. Right, right. I can't, I can't afford just to pay my bills. Yeah. And, you know, she, she says this line and I think it really hits a chord for most women is we're taught to be grateful. We're taught to take what is handed to us. Yes. I'm so grateful to be sharing the stage with these top athletes. Thank you. And she's like, I was, and I, and I am, and I'm so grateful, but I am grateful for what I get. And I can also demand what I deserve. And asking for more. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And I want to be paid. Yeah. And I think, yes, our society is new to this concept and we we're almost pushing way back, wanting to shove women down again, right? Like suppress the voice again. And that's, I think, what's really terrifying about what's going on in our world right now, instead of saying, oh, this is new because we're glad we've empowered women to have more voice. We're glad we're creating more of a balance in the force, right? The masculine and feminine, and we need all of those energies equally. And this is a common thing when the system shifts, there's a huge resistance to it, right? Like in in any system, it's like, I think they call it the extinction burst. And I'm not sure why, but it's a a way the system tries to stay in the status quo. It's a, a pendulum swing yeah. um, visualization. Anytime you swing one direction, you'll swing the other. Yeah. So when when we make big changes, there's going to be, you know, the other side of that. This is, wait a second. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Not, not You're making us. me uncomfortable. You're taking something from mm-hmm. me instead of, whoa, this is, this growth hurts because... It's, Everybody's shifting. Yeah, yeah, we're shifting and and we're we're balancing out, you know. But there's enough space for all of us, for all genders, for all voices. We all belong here because we're all here together. And so going back to consent, if we all just follow our own natural rhythms, there'll be a beautiful ecosystem and there won't be this competing energy because it's like when you're really in alignment with yourself, then you're following your own flow. And it's not disharmony. It's not in dysregulation to other people. It's within harmony, because we're all on planet Earth, and we're all contributing to society and community. Yeah. And so there is a flow and and a harmony that's greater than us. But it requires all of us to be ourselves. Mm hmm. Yeah. We don't have to be anything else. We don't have to, you know, yeah. Hustle for another agenda. We just really have to show up as who we are. And I think the very intro to that is learning who you are by understanding consent. And that's a conversation of like, what feels like me? What feels good to me? What do I want to experience in this life? What feels like harmony within? How do I build the trust with myself? Yeah. And when we're living in harmony with ourselves, it creates a larger ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good ending point to think about. I love that. There's room for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Tent Talks today, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.